What's going on, my friends? Welcome back to Titus Talks. I'm really excited to have a colleague back on the show. So season one, Andrew Hessel was here telling us all these awesome things. And today he's back to talk to us about uh, all the cool stuff he's been doing during the pandemic. Um, Kate, as always, Katie's here as well. And before we get started, you know, we want to see all the love. So TitusTalksPodcast.com, Google, Apple, Spotify Podcasts, YouTube, give us all the thumbs and stars you want, comments. Um, we love when you do that. So with all that boring stuff out of the way, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be back. So since we, uh, since the last time you were on the podcast, right, we did, I did season one solo. It was um, a pandemic. So I kind of fell off the wagon because, you know, life was crazy um, during all that time. But so for the, for everyone joining in for season two or um, who really enjoyed season one, um, can you tell us a story? <laughs> oh man. Uh, let's just say that um, this has been uh, a couple of years of intense learning on a personal level, because one of the, th I'm, I'm older, so I, I looked at myself as the canary in the coal mine when it came to COVID and my family, and, and it really did a couple of things. I've got a couple of young kids, they're seven and four now, so one you start thinking, how is this going to affect their lives, their education, et cetera? So that was really a big deal. But for me personally, it, it was a chance to really think about my own mortality. And, and because if anyone was going to get knocked off, it was me. And, and so I started to really put things in place to, to make sure my family would be taken care of. And, and it activated a really old part of my, my thinking and wish list, not so much a bucket list, but, but a wish list that um, I wanted to back up myself, uh, like we back up computers. And so this has been a, something I've wanted to do for a while. Um, and, and it just means banking DNA or cells that the biological part of it is really easy, but you start thinking about long-term perspectives and, and how, um, and, and, and how to grow, um, resources ultimately to, to, uh, to reboot a backup years down the road. So it's kind of a strange little story. You can think, look, think of it as cloning, but, but I, I'm not interested in that technology right now. I just believe that one day it's going to be possible to boot up copies of ourselves down the road. It'll be safe and legal, but, but how do you do that? And so I've been exploring things like strange family offices and, and investments for that can grow over hundreds of years. And I've been reaching out to finance professionals and family offices, et cetera. And I've, I've, it's turned into the most interesting, exciting exploration of our future uh, that I think I've ever done. <laughs> You're the Meanwhile, we've talked yeah. to who wants to back up themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it, it's I I when I look at the technology, it's as easy as doing uh, a, a DNA test today. But but down the road, how you actually would would take care of a backup, considering they're not going to have traditional parents or or families, is is really where my my brain goes, and I just want to explore. So it's it's a lot like science fiction. Um, and and playing in science fiction spaces, but 
but really just thinking about life and death and mortality. I shouldn't have read Dune when I was six years old. <laughs> <laughs> I, for some reason, decided to start reading 1984 in the last couple of weeks. So it's a very interesting alternative perspective on some, some poignant sci-fi uh, for the times. Um, I just finished reading The Three-Body Problem, which is Chinese science fiction. Very different style and, and perspectives. But, man, that book looks into the future. <laughs> uh, so highly recommended for people looking for something really meaty to chew on, you know, long-term perspectives. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, for, for everyone who wasn't here for season two, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you ended up where you are? Yeah, I kind of describe myself uh, uh, as having a drunken walk through science. Um, uh, my 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 core education is in cell biology and genetics, which I look at as as kind of low level engineering in in biology. I, I'm interested in the cellular mechanics, which are kind of universal, and and the cellular software of DNA. Um, so that's that's kind of my start. So cell biology and genetics is the core. But apart from that, uh, I've been fortunate that I had a life that was largely responsibility free. So I could go exploring in some odd little areas, looking under rocks. Um, and uh, I've never I, I've never really uh, I aborted my Ph.D. and joined a major biopharmaceutical company 25 years ago. So so it gave me a really odd education that was very practical. And this is at a time when R&D were were really different domains. Um, today, uh, today they're much more. Uh, there's much more overlap in that Venn diagram. Yeah. Um, and so I've been very fortunate that I've been able to explore really interesting ideas and really interesting people in in the life science space. Um, and and yeah, I think it's. I, I feel very privileged to have had that 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 time to go and meet people and explore and really put together a network that that is quite remarkable. So you're a scientist, a founder, a dad, an author, uh, a human backup machine. Um. <laughs> yeah, and the core of what I've been, you know, that I love is just really this operating system for life. And I've been fortunate that, um, I, as you said, I, uh, a little bit of entrepreneur uh, in there. And I started a company, uh, co-founded a company that does virus engineering from scratch. We build viral genomes from scratch, not to do nefarious things, but to, uh, to make precision um, uh, therapeutics for cancer. And no two cancers are the same. So this was a, a programmable medicine technology company. Um, so it, uh, in the area of synthetic biology, and I just love that space of being able to design and build biology yeah. using these digital tools. That's awesome. Well, so well, you've been back, backing up yourself, your, your biology, but you've also been writing down your thoughts and you wrote a book during the pandemic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So again, just, I also describe myself as being incredibly lucky because stuff just, once you get a certain size network, things just kind of magically appear. Um, uh, so I was, uh, we were about six months into the pandemic. Um, I, I have a place in California that is really rural. Um, we had just, we had, we had moved to New York because my daughter was at a point where we needed to get her into school. But with the pandemic, we left New York and went back to this rural property. So life was pretty quiet and stress-free, um, and just pretty natural. But, um, uh, 
for the last few years, I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements and just really going out and, and saying yes to as many things that I can, uh, speaking to sometimes it's consultancies, sometimes it's, it's uh, family offices and hedge funds, et cetera. But um, so I have a speaker's agent and they called me up and they said, one of our other folks, a woman by the name of Amy Webb, would like to speak with you. Um, so I got on the phone with Amy and she's fantastic. Like she's, she's got something, uh, she's got an institute that she runs. She's, she describes herself as a quantitative futurist, whereas I'm much more qualitative and gut feel. Um, and we got to talking and she said, look, uh, I had this book deal to, to examine CRISPR technologies, gene editing technologies. And as doing the research for that, I realized that these digital biologies, synthetic biology is really in, extremely powerful. So we, we, we ended up just talking about synthetic biology, some of my experiences, she shared some of hers. And she said, look, I'd like to, I'd like to split this book deal with you. Uh, and which was fantastic. So when you, she's a New York Times bestselling author, she's an amazing writer. And so for, for someone like me who hadn't written a book before, they'd really just been focusing on speaking. Um, it, it was just a gift. And so we started, we started mapping out the, the various chapters. Uh, we started just writing and, and it came together really quickly. Yeah. Well, so Katie and I spent a lot of time writing together. We haven't done, well, we have, we have aspired to something as large as the book. We haven't quite gotten there yet, but Katie, you were reading something of Andrew's that he wrote in December of 2019. Like that, something like it's time to end the flu. Um, what? Tell us a little bit about when you wrote that, when you read that, because it was a very poignant piece of writing. To to sort of like we were going back through and looking at the content that had been created with our writers thus far in Bioeconomy XYZ, and so then to to read Andrew's piece and to have it address all of the main concerns that came up within those first six months of the pandemic and him saying, you know, we need to address this. This is a blind spot for us. Here's another one. And to sort of read it, like reading it, looking back at the last like year and a half being like, oh my goodness, I wish someone would have addressed all of these things because this is what we needed to address. Um, it was just really interesting to, to see and to think about afterwards how much of what has transpired over the course of the pandemic we could have predicted for and solved and prepared for as well, just as a function of maybe asking Andrew for his advice. <laughs> yeah, so that means you're a futurist as well, Andrew. Um, yeah, for lack of a, for lack of a better word, I'm future oriented. Like I can't change the past. I have so little control over the present that, uh, you know, I, I think we can all be futurists just with a little bit of goal setting. Um, so what I love to do is just do thought experiments and, and, and move forward. You know, with, with the virus world, again, it goes back to the core of, of just, I really love this idea of being able to design and build genomes. Um, and, and most people don't realize we, we made the first synthetic viral genome in 2002. And by we, I mean scientists. Um, and so it, it's, it's been 20 years. And so I was getting more and more concerned because I was focusing my own work on writing virus genomes for good, you know, as cancer therapies. Um, and, and seeing how 
the technology was really enabling this work. And yet no one was really putting, you know, and understanding there's an asymmetry between making a virus and defending against a virus. We don't have many antivirals. Uh, they're, they're very hard to defend against because we, the vaccines are our main tool for doing that. Um, there's not many ways you can drug uh, a virus. <laughs> so, so just seeing the asymmetry and seeing the lack of understanding that, that we're, it's getting easier and easier to make these things. And we're not putting in the detection systems. We're not investing in antiviral technologies and vaccine technologies was really starting to worry me. Um, they came together in that article because my, my son, who was less than two years old, just, just turned two, uh, and he caught a bad flu in New York. And, you know, when you're, when you're that age and you catch a bad flu, it just about kills you. You know, you, thankfully he stayed hydrated. So that it never became life threatening, but it was just it, it it was just so it was just so clear to me that we just didn't have the systems in place to identify what is this flu, what is the virus, and and care for them. You know that I just thought it's time to 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 write another essay about yeah we're not we're not prepared for for a world of push button viruses. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. And you, of course, you and I were sitting at a Starbucks outside the Pentagon in February of 2020, um, talking about similar things. And it's crazy where we, where we are now. What was it yeah. to, sorry, go ahead. No, in some ways, and I don't mean to minimize in any way the, the suffering and cost of, of, you know, that we've, the world has experienced with COVID, but this, this was a, a wake up call for just about every country and how they prepare for, for, for infectious disease. And in some ways it's kind of a trainer pandemic because you could certainly make the case that something much worse could come along that we'd be even more unprepared for. Yeah. Well, what was it? What can you tell us a little bit more about your book and the whole, the whole writing experience? So an article and a speaking engagement are much shorter endeavors than writing a whole book. Yeah, and I should say I really focused on speaking because the way my brain works, I kind of have uh, my brain is multi-threaded. I describe my head as being filled with squirrels. <laughs> squirrels are my power animal, and and <laughs> they're amazing. <laughs> Honestly, squirrels, squirrels, dogs, cats—they've integrated in society pretty well. But but I have so I kind of have this uh, cacophony of voices in my head that are always chattering away. So I find speaking to be very easy because there's always a lead voice. Um, and, and there's plenty of background noise, but there's always a lead voice. With writing, you're, you know, when you sit and write, the lead voice writes, but the next day there's going to be a different voice. So I've always found writing to be uh, a challenge, writing longer pieces anyway, uh, a short memo or email, no, no problem. It just comes out and it's gone. But with Amy, um, she's, she's much more process-driven. So it was there was an outline. There were clear chapter you know, headings. And as we explored the various topics and filled them in, it, it came together incredibly smoothly. Um, so the book is, is, the book is about engineering biology and, and digital biology and just how profound some of these technologies is. It's called the Genesis machine. And the subtitle is, and I have to look at it, our quest to rewrite life in the age of synthetic biology. So it's, it's, it's meant for lay people. It's meant for your mom, it's meant for your grandma to get a sense of, of what's going on in, in digital biology. And it's told through narrative. So it's, it's basically in four sections. 
and the first section being a short history of this technology because it's it's pretty much brand new. I, I demarked the first, you know, synthetic biology as being the first synthetic genome. Okay, maybe that's a little late, but you know, so it's only twenty years old, you know, by my definition. The the second part of the book is where we are today and just some of the challenges. And, and when you think about it, the messenger RNA vaccines that have been in the news so much the last couple of years, Moderna and Pfizer, um, these are, are kind of the first breakout synthetic biology products that have hit the market really um, and really changed lives, uh, which is terrific. Uh, but they're just the tip of the iceberg. So there's a, there's a focus on where we are today then it gets to the fun part. The third part of the book are scenarios, looking into the near future. And, and we played with this. Uh, there's, I think there's six scenarios in the book, but we probably wrote 14 or 15. Um, and and it, it was just a blast. You just had to, the book would be 600 pages if we, if we put them all in. But so that was, that was just fun. You know, I'd go out to my, I'd go out to my studio after the kids were asleep at about nine o'clock and, and just write till like three in the morning. It, it was a blast. And then the last, the last section of the book is really tying it together and just really putting some ideas in people's minds about how we go forward into this, this whole new territory over the next few decades. Can you give but, us uh, an, an example of one of your scenarios? Sorry, Katie, I didn't mean to cut you off as well. Yeah, so, so some of the scenarios in the book are, are, are fun. We look at, we look at longevity because that's such an interesting one. That, that scenario is, is titled, what's happened? What happened when we canceled aging? We look at, at food, um, because food is really our first medicine. And it's one of these areas where these technologies are really starting to make a difference. And you see it today, whether it's perfect day and just their dairy products or, or impossible foods, like, Food is, is a big one. So we, we kind of play with that. We play with human reproduction because um, that's, that's ground zero. That's something that, again, just our, our control over our reproductive processes with, with uh, assisted fertility treatments over the last 40 years are remarkable. You know, like there's 8 million people in the world today because our, our science and technology has allowed us to to really get around some of our reproductive issues. Like my two kids are, are, were, I call them lab grown. <laughs> and it's funny, they, we don't hide anything from them. When I see my, my, when my daughter was six, she'd be on the playground with kids and saying, I was made in the lab. <laughs> and explaining, you know, artificial insemination. And anyway, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, uh, but probably the scenario I invested the most time in was, uh, was one called the underground. And this was, Amy had written a really powerful section on climate change. And, and I, I have to admit, I hadn't been paying much attention to, to climate because I was, uh, I float around the world or before kids, I floated around the world quite a bit. I wasn't really touching the ground all that much. And, and what she wrote about climate change just really struck me. And I started thinking, well, you know, what are some of the megatrends happening right now in, in the world? And one of the ones that has, has totally captivated me is just, uh, we're, we've got a new space race for me and we are, we are going to space in a big way. 
uh, again, whether it's Elon Musk and Starship or Jeff Bezos and, and his and Blue Origin and just these smaller companies that have popped up, Astra and Rocket Lab, et cetera. I, I love this. And I think it's really inspiring to have these aerospace technologies blossoming again like they did when I was a kid. Because I remember being six years old in 1969 and watching you know, the, the moon landing on TV. It's like, wow. Um, so that, so I was thinking of all this and realizing, wow, we, we, we're going to end up, as we open up space, really having to start to live in, in, in closed ecological systems. Um, and that's going to mean a whole suite of new technologies that are really good at recycling and yeah. manufacturing, you know, in situ and, and really just, and really just all focused on keeping us alive in tin cans. It goes right back to, to Jerry O'Neill's, you know, cylinders with this giant cities and bottles in space. I found it really, really amazing. So there's a scenario there um, in the book about about how those the need to be able to completely control inputs and outputs in a closed ecological system could could really plant a seed for for changing uh, and, and in some ways repairing and healing our, our environment today, but also giving us technologies that allow us to to sustainably keep growing as a species moving forward. So I love that one. I fell in love with that chapter. Um, and, and just, again, just, I think it's the, one of the most exciting areas for the planet. So, you know, that's, yeah, I, I, I have to admit this, you know, some people look at these technologies and think, oh, they're scary. Uh, I, yeah, there's some virus stuff that's scary that we really have to sort out. Um, and I, I'll point people to Rob Reed's presentation with Sam Harris for some of this, for a really detailed analysis of some of those things. And um, but I see this potential for infinite recycling and and low cost manufacturing because biology builds amazing molecules and structures and machines. And that I, I just see the potential for this because it all comes down to being able to program the biological systems to go and make the things we need, whether it's food or materials or, or cleaning up our messes. And, and I, I don't think I've ever felt so positive about the future of humanity. <laughs> now, granted, I'd like to see a couple of things like as, as much as we go or, and are starting to explore, you know, the orbit and, and, the close planetary bodies and our moon, et cetera. I, I would love to see us start to reduce and minimize our uh, human impact on the world around yeah. us. And, and thinking through that, it's like, how do you do that? Because, you know, we want to keep growing. We're, we're, that's, that's the hallmark of our species. We want to keep growing and exploring. And, and the only solution I could come up with this in my crazy way of thinking is, just take everything we're doing and just move it underground, like just a few feet underground. And, and I started to talk to people about this because I found it really surprising. Most, most people think that going underground in any way or shape or form is really scary. Like it's, it brings up, it's like, it's like spiders and snakes. It's almost instinctive. And, and, 
so I was just I was just having conversations with people about tunnels and 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 building into the ground. And thankfully, this amazing book was published by Tashin called Dig It. And, and I, I recommend people to take it out. It's like 1,400 pages. Oh. And it's, it's a survey by an architect by the name of Mastenbroek, a Dutch architect, where, where they went out and surveyed around the world for, for over a decade various structures that have been built into the ground in various ways. And they're beautiful. Like, uh, I, I, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And so, so, but my own thinking around this stuff has, has just, I, I love it. I love this idea of just moving the things we do in humanity, whether it's move vehicles or, or build factories or homes and just starting to move it just a little down and making the surface of the earth um, much more park-like. Um, I also love the idea of just turning off the lights up above because I feel bad for kids that grow up in cities and they don't see the stars and just this, in, you know, and, and just that sense of perspective that comes that we are a little rock in a, in a solar system that's part of one galaxy. And there's, there's literally hundreds of billions of galaxies out there. <laughs> it's like, you know, the fact that you didn't get a, an A on that last test, just really, it's pretty insignificant. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's great advice too. I think that the <clears throat> the perspective um, that's something that I realized or too late was just that the the things you think are huge are, are never as huge as you think they are. And everything changes all the time. Like there is no, there's no. Every system is dynamic. Um, so you you end up just having. You know, life, we have, we play a lot of zero sum games in life, you know, where there's a winner and a loser. Um, and then you realize as you get older, particularly that life is non-zero sum. And with non-zero sum games, it's not about winners and losers. It's about how you play. <laughs> and, and I've really tried to keep my, my life in the playful zone because I don't have all that much control over the world around us and it's constantly shifting. And if change stresses you out, um, boy, it, 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 life can be pretty hard. But so, I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just becoming more Zen as I go up there. <laughs> I mean, I think that dovetails nicely into our last question for you, Andrew, which is what advice do you have for our audience? Oh boy. Uh, and well, let me ask, who is your audience? Like, what's your demographic? You know, I think it's largely people in between like 20 and 35. But we also have quite a few people who, you know, people who are retired and interested in learning about super cool stuff, right? My mom is retired and uh, listens to all of the episodes. Katie's mom, who's retired and listens to all the episodes. So we all, so we have kind of this bimodal uh, yeah. advice. Uh, Realm. No, that's great. So, so, you know, I think that the programming of life is, is simply the coolest technology ever. And it's, it's a unique technology because we didn't invent it. Like the, the technology that is life made us, it predates us. So, so we're learning how to harness it right. and we're, and it's opening up possibilities 
that go beyond what natural systems can do because natural systems produce a, a growing tree of, of various organisms. Um, again, all rooted in the same core biochemistry and programming language. Um, but you connecting the branches, the leaves, so to speak, on the branches becomes uh, harder and harder as they separate. We don't have that problem working at, at the fundamental level. We can mix and max code across all living things uh, that are here today or ever existed. Um, and we're starting to get really good at making things that just nature could never have made. So I think we're about to enter a Cambrian explosion of, of, of biology that's really from the bottom up. And this means new proteins, whether they're structural, whether they're catalytic, whether they're, whether, you know, I, I just, enzyme engineering and protein engineering, man, what an amazing space to be in right now. That will eventually grow into uh, met metabolic engineering and being able to completely change the metabolism and, and reorder it for, for existing organisms today. That, that, is an incredible area of R&D, and it's gonna take uh, the development of new tools and technologies to really get that to blossom. Yeah. And then eventually it'll turn into, you put enough metabolic pathways together, you end up with free living replicating organisms. And and so just organism engineering will explode. So I, I the, the core message that I want people to understand is programming biology is gonna be bigger and more important than computing and it'll stand on the foundation of digital technologies. In fact, I'm seeing the, those two worlds, the worlds of silicon yeah. and the worlds of carbon really starting to, to overlap and intersect more than ever before. When, and you know, today you're, you're at ground zero in some ways at Google um, because boy, uh, the, the work that DeepMind has done in the last few years has just been mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, I spent all of my day job, all of my free time, all of my dreaming hours thinking about the intersection of computing and biology. It's the, what we can do there is just mind blowing. I, I gotta spend more time hanging out with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, because, because that's just my, my world space. And it, it is pulling in young, super smart people from, from all, from so many different avenues, because the, the, the three areas that come together to make synthetic biology really ignite, there's, there's biology and just life science, just biology in general. There's computation, and then there's automation, robotics. Those three areas come together, and as those, as those two, you know, two of those circles overlap, you know, with, with biology and, and computers, you get bioinformatics, you get, you get, AI and machine learning, et cetera, in, in the life science space. You get, you get, anyway, the, the intersection of those three, it's just magic. And, and it's completely unpredictable yeah. what's going to happen because it just opens up such a, a vast creative space. So bits and atoms, wow. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, I, I think it's, I think anyone that's trying to look for a mission in life, they should definitely explore 
you know, digital biology and synthetic biology, because there's just so many different areas to play. You just want to build robots. Great. You want to go build drones to go collect samples. Great. You want to go just, you know, go out and hike into, into unexplored spaces or even ex highly explored space. Go and, go and literally take us a sample jar down to your local pond uh, or, or stream sewage pipe. It doesn't matter. You're going to find more biology than you can play with in a while. So, so you shouldn't be bored. <laughs> uh, re recognize that it's not crowded and there's, you're just going to meet incredible people and learn incredible things. If you, if you start going in that area for, for people that are more, um, that, that are more into kind of the societal structures, money and, and industry, et cetera. Uh, I think they just have to recognize this is going to be the biggest field ever. Like it doesn't matter how rich you are. You, your, your lifespan runs on uh, is a program you were born with and, and efforts to extend that or, or enhance it in various ways um, still aren't very coordinated. But it's going to that's going to change significantly. Like just the idea of backing yourself up is is a crazy idea today. Yeah, that's the first time we've heard that. Yeah, but it's great. Yeah, well, and and the thing is, like, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, the, there's there's challenges with that, but they're all relatively easy. Um, and then if it's not backing up, the other area that I I find really fascinating is just hibernation. Like, how do you just turn off for a while? And and you know, most of the recent R&D in that area is less than 10 years old. And of course, we haven't achieved it yet. Yeah. Um, but but that's a fascinating one. And and that's going to be so important, even just as we go uh, and, you know, and, and if we do open up Mars, because you don't want to be awake, really, for a for a, you know, month long journey, you know, to another planet, because it's just uh, there's just the amount of food and waste that you have to deal with uh, for being actively metabolizing yeah. is, is gigantic. You know, like you're, but anyway, yeah. So th there's so you know in terms of industry, I think biotech is going to stand on the shoulders of computing, which is getting more and more powerful, and automation, um, and it's just going to open up an incredible new industry. It's going to really matter to people because life matters to people, whether it's our kids or ourselves or our other, you know other, um, you know, things that we love that are living, whether it's plants and animals. Um, so that's a giant one. And then the other message that I've really been trying to drive home is, is what we've been learning with COVID. Like as, as a species, I think we need to, uh, we need to be victorious over viruses. We need to completely think, change our, our thinking and get up to speed are around viruses because right now the the threat is massive and i've i recently had the opportunity to share some of those ideas with the defense department again and it's like you know i know you, you think about all of the advanced technologies um but biology is the one that's here today that is the most threatening in the short term but once we kind of solve the the viral threats which you know and it's viruses or virus-like particles just self-replicating software that can be, you know, predatory. Once we solve that, well, we get better public health. Infectious disease is just not that big a deal. Um, and and that's when I think that this engineering and biology will really start to blossom. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's just so exciting. I couldn't agree more. I'm biased because I spent time working at the intersection of defense and biology, but couldn't agree more. Well, Andrew, it's been great to have you back on our uh, podcast 
I'm excited for everyone to get to, to read your book. Um, for everyone, don't forget TitusTalksPodcast.com where you can give us all the thumbs and stars and uh, check out the link to Andrew's book and everything. So, Andrew, I appreciate it. And thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure.